Uh, so the first question I got uh, when, I, when I processed up this, this morning from my daughters were, why aren't you wearing your alb, uh, your, your robe? Is something wrong? Um, we have immersion baptisms today. Uh, and last year when we did this, I got soaked. And I, and I made a little mental note. I said, buy a white shirt for next year. Uh, so I feel very prepared. <laughs> so, uh, and if you were with us in the community center, um, it, it got so hot in that gymnasium, I just never wore the alb there anyway. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful symbol, tradition of the church. Um, but today we're going to be leaning more into our low church heritage, um, which is great too. Uh, and some of you are like, sweet, let's do this all the time. Uh, I know I'll get those comments. Um, but we, the owl will be coming back tomorrow, uh, ne tomorrow next week, and uh, maybe I'll explain its, its significance um, then. So, uh, this week uh, I had the pleasure of meeting someone who uh, was just a tremendous... Um, he, he had a tremendous influence over my faith and over my, my walk with the Lord. His name is Justin Brierly, uh, and he, he uh, has since moved on. But at the time, he used to put on this podcast called Unbelievable with Justin Brierly. Have any of you listened to this? A couple of you. All right, I saw a couple of shy hands as well. Uh, for those of you who have listened to it, you, you probably know that I've already said the name wrong because it's, it's British. And so it's unbelievable with Justin Brierly. And, and the accents are, are part of, uh, or another reason why you should listen to it. Um, but it was, it was a show that was always a conversation between an unbeliever and a non-believer um, where they would just talk about uh, their faith. And, uh, or lack thereof, and they would, uh, or sometimes it would be kind of a theological debate, sort of like within the, the Christian camp. Uh, so if you're really into those kinds of things, like Calvinism versus Arminianism or whatever, like this is the show for you. Go, go there and have those debates. <laughs> That's a lovely place for that. Um, but the, the, what drew me to it were the conversations about um, between atheists and Christians, um, or Christians and, and people of other faith traditions. Um, I was really drawn to that. And the reason why is because when I was in seminary, uh, and this usually is not what you want to hear as, uh, from, as someone's experience in seminary, but it was actually a very rattling time for me. Uh, there were some things that I was learning at that time that jostled me from my faith and from my assurance of the things that I uh, had learned um, from the church. So uh, my tradition uh, growing up uh, usually was one that, that portrayed the Bible as something that just kind of floated down from the heavens and just kind of appeared to us one day. Um, and I'm exaggerating, of course, but that, that's kind of the gist that I had. And so I, when I went to seminary and I studied this, this field of study called textual criticism, which looks at the historical um, story of how the Bible came to be. And there's a lot of debates in these conversations, like you know, this book, what was the, the date of this book, and who was the actual author of this book, and um, there were lots of conversations about this, and like I said, these, this was a new thing for me, and it just kind of unsettled me. Um, it, it jostled me. Also at this time, uh, I was, uh, a lot of friends um, from another career who were leaving the faith, uh, at that time, the New Atheist Movement was really big and was, was getting a lot of traction. And so these friends of mine would quote authors to me, like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins, and they would sometimes uh, kind of lay out these grand philosophical arguments that I had never heard before. Or sometimes they would even just kind of say a little pithy statement that 
was just kind of a little thorn in my side. I was like, oh, I'd, I'd never heard that before. Like, that's, that's, that's upsetting. And uh, in those days, uh, my, my dear wife, I would wake her up in the middle of the night, and I would say, Molly, is this stuff true? Like, is this all just a sham? And it was a big deal for me because here I am, like, I had moved my family across the country uh, to a part of the country that I'm not a huge big fan of. And I, and I thought, like, what are we doing here? And I'm, and I'm dedicating my life to this, um, this pursuit of something that I wasn't sure of anymore. And so I, I did what a lot of you have probably done in a similar situation, which is uh, to go to the Google. Because why not, right? Uh, what could go wrong, right? Um, but thankfully, I, I found this podcast, Unbelievable. And at that time, I was driving a ton, and so I just binged through episode after episode after episode, like hours and hours, like hundreds of hours of this. And over the span of time, I started to hear some of those arguments that my friends had been saying. And I started to hear, actually, some of those pithy sayings that some of my friends were saying. And not only that, but I, I would hear kind of a, a strong um, Christian response to those things. And it was just a, a wonderful time of restoration for me. It was a time in which my faith, bit by bit, brick by brick, um, sometimes moment by moment, was slowly being built up. It was a, a really wonderful time. And so when I had this opportunity to meet Justin Brierley, you know, I kind of stood up, and it was, this was at Anselm House, and, you know, a lot of, like, friends were there in the room, and so I felt kind of bashful. I was like, Justin, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really thankful for you. And anyway, he was, he was very kind. Uh, it was great. He's a very humble, lovely person. Um, but I was just grateful for, um, and, and not just him, but others in my life who had come around me around that time, um, who had led me back to belief in God specifically in his son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus shows us the most beautiful and, and true things about this world. I mean, we, we, we learn the answers to life's deepest questions through Jesus Christ, and nothing else has been satisfying. Um, nothing else comes close. So, there's several reasons why I share all of, spend so much time sharing this with you. First, I, I think it's important for you to know that that I've struggled with my faith. And I, I think all of us, um, or, or many of us, maybe not all of us, but I think a lot of us have kind of an inner atheist inside of us. And I hope that you've found that this is a church where you can ask those kinds of questions. Uh, and I speak specifically to the youth because um, youth especially are, uh, it's a time of questioning, of pushing boundaries, of asking good questions. And, and I think it's good that we create spaces for those questions to be properly wrestled with. And a little um, secret to the youth, if you don't deal with those when you're in your teens, they'll continue to stick with you as you get older. And so there might be some of you here who are in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I don't know, but you still have some of these questions and know that this is a place where we, we love to talk about these things. So sometimes you, you might have just a, a personality trait that sort of lends you towards these kinds of questions, you know, and, and it's just kind of part of your nature to always ask these kinds of questions. Or sometimes you have an event in your life that, that dislodges you and, and kind of throws off your center of balance, and so that's the thing that causes you to ask these questions. But also sometimes Jesus brings us to these things. Sometimes Jesus goes to his most devout of followers, 
brings them off to a very bizarre, strange land, looks them in the eye, and says, who do you say that I am? And that brings us to our passage from Matthew, because this is precisely what Jesus does here. And this is what Jesus has been doing with his followers for 2,000 years. He constantly asks us, who do you say that I am? And that might feel like a test, and I'm not going to say that it's not a test, but it's also so much more than that. These are opportunities where, where Jesus encourage us, encourages us or invites us to wrestle with these things because he knows what's on the other side of it. That on the other side of these questions, we can discover a tremendous amount of courage and inner peace and boldness and some kind of supernatural wisdom for navigating the challenges of this world. And Jesus wants us to have that. And so what that means, though, is in order to obtain that kind of assurance, it means that you wrestle with the big questions, that you go to these places and you ask yourself and others, who do you think Jesus is? And Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he shares himself with us, his very presence. His, he breathes his spirit into us for our own enjoyment, yes, but because he wants to invite us into the great adventure of faith. And I think that this passage also speaks to that in very exciting terms. So we're going to move through this passage. Um, first service, I didn't have a lot of like structure. It, it's structured to me, so obviously you should see the structure too, right? Um, but I, I hope that you're able to follow with me here. Um, Marin, if I'm not giving good structure, would you kind of interrupt and tell me? No? Great, great, thanks. It's my daughter, Marin. Um, so first let's look at this, this setting that they're in, the place that they're at, because this is actually a really important big deal. So you may have heard me say before that geography is theology. Oh my goodness, I'm going to fall into this. Then I'll really be wet. <laughs> then it won't matter if I'm wearing an alb or not. Um, there it is. Um, so uh, geography is theology, location matters, and place has a purpose to it. And that's not just a Bible thing. Uh, that's true for anyone who slows down and pays attention to their surroundings, in fact, we could go right now, we could go to Fort Snelling, and sometimes uh, here at the church, uh, we do this spiritual tour of the Twin Cities, and some of you have been on that, and um, one of the missionaries in the Twin Cities, Jim Bloom, kind of shows us these things, but one of the things that, that um, Jim talks about is Fort Snelling, and he shares a little bit about the history of the land and, and kind of the spiritual um, uh, influences or the, the spiritual presence or um, tendencies of these places. And we learn about things like pain and forgiveness. We learn about sorrows and joys that are associated with the land. And you also learn about what sort of gods were worshipped there and perhaps still are. Sometimes explicitly where people know that they're doing some sort of religious ritual or sometimes it's implicitly. They're, they're participating in um, some form of consumerism or you know, some other form of idolatry. My point is that we are spiritual beings and we inhabit a spiritual world. And so when Jesus takes his followers to Caesarea Philippi, there's significance to this. Geography is theology. So this area is 25 miles north of uh, the Sea of Galilee. This is a, a region that's under the control of Herod Philip. 
and uh, hence the, the Philippi section of, this, of the name of the, the area. But also, uh, Herod Philip had uh, changed the name to Caesarea Philippi as a way to kind of um, brown nose the, the emperor. He wants to impress the emperor. You know, that's, that's how you get favor in those days. You, you, you know, and churches do this too. You sometimes name things after, after you know, important people or whatever so that you can kind of gain some favor uh, in those places. And so that's exactly what he does. He's trying to honor the Roman emperor here. But also, this is an astonishing place of pagan worship. Uh, in fact, in those days, they believed that the great god, the, the pagan god Pan, uh, was actually birthed under the mountain of their city. And so there, uh, and, and Pan was the kind of the, the chief symbol of, of uh, fertility, of, of nature. And so as, I'm not going to go into detail because the children are here with us this morning, but as you can imagine, there's a lot of um, ritual involved with those pagan um, fertility uh, temples with those worship, uh, with those um, worshipers and the kinds of things that they would engage in as a part of their prayers for fertility. But also archaeologists tell us that there are plenty of other temples that are in the, in the area. Um, this was a, a huge, huge center of pagan worship. But then towering above all of this was another temple to the state, specifically to the emperor. And this was a relatively new one uh, of those days where you would see these massive pillars and um, plates of metal that were sort of up there. So it was a very shiny, impressive thing. So here you come to this region and you would come face to face with the allure to the fertility cults, or you'd be drawn to the power of the state. Your nostril, nostrils would be filled with the smells of worship and sacrifice. Your ears would hear those calls to go engage in those fertility rituals your eyes would, would see the power and the might reminding you of the state's influence over your life. And so it's, it's against all of this backdrop, all of this power, all of this sensuality that Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, turns to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Now, this might be kind of a silly comparison, um, and I found out in the first service that not a lot of people do this, so maybe this is just a Rick thing, being kind of a tech guy. Um, I'm fine with that. Bear with me on this. But have you ever on your phone, uh, either your, your iPhone or your Google phone, like opened up the app store and just kind of scrolled through some of those apps? Okay, Audrey, thank you. You've, you've looked through some apps before. Way to go. Um, but it's, it's kind of like stepping into this modern sort of digital Caesarea Philippi. Because all of these apps are kind of like a, a temple of sorts. They're all pulling you towards something. They want you to engage your time in something. And they have a, a message that's associated with that or some kind of hobby or activity. And there might not be, in fact, I, I don't think there is, and I haven't searched for this, and I'm not encouraging you to, but there might not be apps dedicated to like Pan, the fertility god. But there's certainly apps out there that are calling, that are calling you into those similar sort of activities and promiscuity, right? But there's also apps that are calling you into um, maybe not to worship Caesar, the emperor, but they're calling you to greater devotion to a particular influencer or maybe a particular um, political power. And so as I scroll through the, the app store, you can kind of see these, these ideologies, these spiritual trends, these callings that are coming to us. And maybe it's not the app store, maybe it's, you know, something else in your life. But my point is that we don't need to go 24 hours north of here to encounter these kinds of things. 
We can just pull out our phone and just start scrolling through this stuff. We see the power and the, and the intrigue that's available. And so in that sense, we don't have a lot of difference with our brothers and sisters from 2,000 years ago. And also, this question that Jesus asks is still just as relevant today against a similar backdrop as it was back then. So now let's look at what Peter says here. So Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, up until this point, this whole time, I've been talking about these pressures that we feel from the world and the doubt that, that comes at us and sometimes bubbles up from within us, within our own hearts. And, I mean, Peter's just like us, right? Like, he experiences the same kind of pressures and doubts that we do. I mean, the Bible's full of these things. Even two weeks ago, we talked about him walking on the water and then looking around at the waves and kind of sinking a little bit. And we, you know, we could also talk about him, um, uh, you know, denying that he's ever known Jesus uh, later on in the story, right? So he's also kind of a, a complicated figure, just like us, who also wrestles with these things. And he hears this question from Jesus, and he decides to go for it. He takes this risk. He says what's actually in his heart in that moment. He looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And what a beautiful confession this is. This is a, these are tremendous words, huge titles. And keep in mind, he's not, just, he's not looking at the emperor saying this. He's looking at this, this dude from Nazareth right? This lowly teacher, this carpenter, and he's saying, you are the son of the living God. He calls him the Christ. That is, you're the Messiah. All of our human longing has its yes in you, has its fulfillment in you, Jesus. He says you're the son of the living God. That's a way to say that you are the final self-disclosure of God himself. If, if we want to know who God is and what he looks like and what he thinks about things, we look to you, Jesus, you're, the, you're his son. You're the son of the, the living God, the one who speaks to us here today. And how does Jesus react? It, it is funny that at the end of this, he's like, okay, now keep that quiet. You know, that's, that's kind of a surprise. We can talk more about that later. But how does Jesus react in this moment? He kind of freaks out, like in a good way. He, he beams with delight and joy. He says just these beautiful words of praise over his friend Peter. He loves the, the risk that Peter just said. You know, because again, Peter, like, he, he had to hesitate a little bit, thinking like, this could be a little embarrassing, or this could be blasphemy, this could make Jesus mad. But instead, Jesus looks at him and he's like, you are blessed, Simon Peter. Like, you are blessed. What you just said is a miracle. You know, and, and I could imagine him kind of you know, waving to the, the, the landscape and be like, nothing of this world showed you this, Jesus. This isn't, or showed you this, Peter. This isn't, this isn't something that, that flesh and blood made known to you. This is, this is evidence of my Father working in your heart. This is an evidence of a miracle that's taken place in your soul, Peter. And Jesus is naming that. And he says, hold on to that. Hold on to that. So in a moment, we're going to be baptizing four children here. And in our tradition, these, these children are, are standing on the, the faith of their parents. Faith is present here. And, and some of them are going to be able to answer on their own. Uh, and, and even if they don't, they're still, planning, they're still standing on the faith of their parents here. 
Just as in the early church, they would baptize entire households on account of the leaders of that household. Faith is a, is a shared vicarious thing, right? Uh, it's, it's something that we all can pull from and borrow from. And sometimes I do that with you and you do that with me. We, we share one another's faith. But here, they are going to be confessing their faith. They're going to be standing on the faith of their parents. And as I've been thinking about this passage and what we're doing today, um, which as a little aside, this, this isn't a, a usual traditional day in which we do baptisms um, in the church calendar. Uh, here at Restoration, we're just like, hey, it's, it's summertime. There's a lot of people who want to be baptized. Let's do this. Uh, so there's, a, there's some spontaneity to this. But I love how it lines up with this passage. Because I just imagine Jesus looking at the faith that's on full display here in this moment and saying to these children, you are so blessed. I see Jesus at work in your heart in this moment. And telling you, parents, like, welcome, like, yes, welcome your children into the waters of baptism. You are so blessed. So what happens next in this passage? Well, I think this is kind of like the parable of the mustard seed. You know, Jesus says it's the smallest of seeds, but it grows into the largest of trees. I think what happens here is, is Peter is, is putting out this seed of faith, and then Jesus just can't help himself. It's like he pulls back the veil for a little bit. And he says, you are the rock on which I am going to build my church. And listen to this. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm giving you my authority to forgive sins, to bind and to loosen. You are going to have the privilege of welcoming people into this kingdom. Look how beautiful and magnificent it is. Jesus is telling us, you get to liberate oppressed souls from the bondage of sin and hell itself. You get to rescue the hearts of men and women from the clutches of evil. And, we're, and it's not just anyone who's saying this. It's Jesus Christ, the one who's risen from the grave. He's proven that he has the authority and the power to do this. So here in this moment, he's giving this authority to his church. Now, if you come from like a Roman um, Catholic background, you hear this passage and you're like, okay, so is, is, is Peter the rock? Who's the rock here? And if you come from a Protestant background, you're probably like, uh, is, is it his confession? You know, what exactly is the rock? And good news, as an Anglican, you can be like, it's both. Yay. <laughs> that's, that's how we roll here in the Anglican church. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, but the point is that Jesus is sending his people out on mission. And he gives us the joy and the honor and the privilege to witness out the life of Christ in our own lives and to boldly proclaim and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We get to tell people that the forces of evil do not have the final word over you, that through the cross of Christ, you have victory over these things and the gates of hell will not prevail. One of my spiritual fathers in my life uh, I've heard him preach on this passage many times, and he would say, so it's time to get your steel-toed boots and kick in the gates of hell. I'm like, I like that. <laughs> he was also a military guy, so that really resonated with him. Um, but G.K. Chesterton says this. He says, Christianity has died many times over the years, but it's also risen again because we have a God who knows the way out of the grave. These things don't hold us. The grave doesn't hold us. He lifts us out. So friends, I don't know what sort of doubt prevails against you. I don't know what rattles you, what, what wakes you up in the middle of the night. 
I don't know what circumstances are, are challenging you or your faith right now, what sort of pressures assail you, but I hope that you know that restoration is a place where we can, we can wrestle with those things. We can put those things out in the open. We can talk about those things. You can do that with me or anyone on staff or any, anyone else here at the church. Um, you don't have to go to someone who has all the answers. I, newsflash, I don't have all of the answers. But we can talk about these things and we can, we can turn to the scriptures and we can turn to Jesus together because he's the faithful one. Another place to do that is, is with the prayer ministry in the corner. After, after you come up for communion and receive the bread and, and the wine or the juice, you can go in the corner and pray with people and you can just say, I, I want to hear God's blessing over me. I want to hear Jesus tell me that he sees his father at work in my life. And we would love to pray with you about those sorts of things. We pray that you will experience the work of God in you and in your hearts. And that this can be a place, a a garden of faith, where the fruit of the Spirit just abound here. where Where you know that your soul is nurtured and fed and grown here in this place. And that this is a place where by the power of the Holy Spirit, evil is dismissed. Evil is put away. That prisoners are set free. And that we get to walk in the blessings and the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us your faith, Lord Christ. That, Lord, when, when you came down to this earth... We were faithless, Lord, but you were the faithful one, and you died on our behalf. And more than that, Lord, you rose from the grave, paving for us the way to everlasting life with you, Lord Christ. So Jesus, I thank you for the adventure that you have called us into. Lord, I thank you for vanquishing evil from our midst, for forgiving us of our sins. And when we stumble again, Lord, you you call us back again, you restore us back again. And so I thank you for that personally, Lord. And Lord, may this be a place where that happens over and over again, Lord, where people are just continually drawn closer to you. Lord, we do pray for the the candidates of baptism. Lord, may they sense your presence, both for themselves and also in their households, Lord. We ask all of this in your name and for your glory. Amen.